0: ABC Listen, podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. And
1: this is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
2: G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald with you here for this Friday edition of the Country Hour. Well, like many of us, a cut flower grower in the Darwin rural area is very thankful that the rains have really properly started to fall this wet season.
3: Well, it's been a very, very bad dry season this year. Um, I've never seen it this hot and this windy. Plants for, for the flowers suffered terribly. And in fact, the trees did too. They're shedding a lot of branches but now it's started to rain. Let's hope it keeps on going.
2: Yeah, and it is looking likely that the rains will keep coming. We'll be crossing to the Weather Bureau at the regular time at five past one for the latest on the monsoon and just how much rain is out and about. i will also today tell you about a landmark trial involving glyphosate that could have some huge implications for Australian ag. And we will also pay tribute to Territory Cattleman Mike Harding, whose funeral is on today in Catherine.
4: The minute someone had a problem or something had broken down or there was an emergency, there was one person they called and it meant that um, he was always pretty busy sorting out other
2: people's issues. Yeah, he was a legend of that Sturt Plateau region and Mataranka and the Roper. We'll be paying tribute to Mike Harding on the program today. Well, there has been plenty more rain over the last 24 hours or so in the top end. In the Sturt Plateau, there's been totals of 98 millimetres at Birdham Creek, 82 at Avergo, and plenty of rainfall figures over the 50 millimetre mark in the Catherine and Waterhouse River catchments. And yeah, there is plenty more wet weather to come. The tropical low near the west coast, it'll slowly move inland over the next few days bringing showers and thunderstorms to the top end, to the Gregory, Carpentaria, and even down to the Barkley districts. At Merry River Station, just near Pine Creek, Alan Fisher, he says he's already cut off for the wet season and he's bracing for even more rain.
5: Yeah, this time of the year, you know, the wet season, so uh, it's limited to what you can do. And um, so when it's possible, we get out and do fences and... Mainly, just keep a bit of an eye on stock that uh, where we can get around our road access is uh, normally cut, so we don't have any um, access out out of the property uh, we've had heavy rain yesterday um, at the moment it 's just um, heavily overcast there's no rain at this present stage it's just yeah still no wind no Nothing at all,
6: so how are you preparing for the lot of rain coming?
5: Well, there's not a lot we can do um, but uh, just to make certain that uh, we've got sufficient food to um, and that to carry us through and um yeah, we just have to be careful what we do because if um, if one of us um, well there's only my son and I here right at the moment, so um if one of us um get injured, well then it's difficult to uh, try and get medical attention, so yeah we just have to watch what we do, watch for snake and crocodile when we're
6: near water and, and so if there was to be big flooding in your area and station
2: um, uh, what kind of damage do you think will you'll be seeing there?
5: Oh, we' get a lot of fence damage. You know, which is not a five-minute job to try and uh, get back up again, and um, and of course then um, where there's any water, you've got to be very careful because then you know there's a lot of saltwater crocodiles in this river now, and um, yeah, so you've got to be very careful there on that side of it. But um, yeah, it's not easy to get around. Uh, so we have to wait till a lot of that flood water goes resides, But then you know we lose stock because of it. But we can't do anything about that till the, later on in the season. So
6: you, you tell me, you're cut off fr- uh, with the roads and stuff when it floods. Do you, do you have a helicopter just
2: in case, or
5: I've got choppers, but uh, they're um, up north at the moment. And, um, but if the yeah, emergency comes, and try and chase um, chase a chopper up anyway, but um, that's only for emergency. Yeah, there's not a lot we can can do. Um, you know, we've just got to put it this way, we've just got to weather
2: the storm. That is Alan Fisher. He's at Mary River Station, which is just near Pine Creek, speaking there with our Catherine reporter, Jan Kahoot, about some of the wet weather that he's already been experiencing. And there is plenty more to come over the next few days. An initial flood watch has been issued for the North Western NT by the Bureau of Meteorology. Uh, Annie Brown joins us in the studio with the details. uh, What areas are likely to be impacted over the next few days?
0: Hi Dan. Yeah, so the Bureau of Meteorology has put out this initial flood watch. They're saying that the monsoon could see widespread daily rainfall totals of 50 to 150 millimetres with isolated heavier daily rainfall totals possible as well. And so with that bit of rain, there's significant river, creek and stream rises are likely with that heavy rainfall with possible minor to major flooding across the next week. So catchments likely to be affected include Victoria River below Calcaringi, Mary River, the Adelaide River, the Finnis River the Daly and Catherine Rivers, as well as the South Alligator, Wildman and Waterhouse Rivers. So many roads and highways may be affected by flooding and some communities and homesteads may become isolated. Now, there's already some road closures, Dan.
2: Yeah, where are they?
0: So the Central Arnhem Road is closed due to flooding between Beswick and Bulman, and the Maracay Road is closed between Adelaide River and Margaret River. So keep an eye out
2: for those. Yeah, for the most up-to-date information, just go to the Roads Report NT website. Um, plenty of rain still to come over in the next few days. We will be checking in with the Weather Bureau at five past one. If you have any questions for the Bureau, send them through on 0487 uh, Now, while we've got you, Annie, uh, you've been out and about in the Darwin rural area chatting to... A cut flower grower.
0: Yeah, I've been out in the rain, in the wet weather. It's been lovely out in the rural area. And yeah, one particular person or one group of people, farmers who are really enjoying this rain are the flower growers, the cut flower growers in the top end. I went out to Lamble's Lagoon to speak with Jan Hintzer because her and her husband Henning, they've been growing cut flowers up here in the top end for more than 30 years, which is incredible. And um, yeah, they've really
3: welcomed this rain after a very long, hot dry season? We irrigate as much as we can through the dry season but it's not the same as having that lovely sweet rain falling down from the heavens at covering everything, not just we happen to have a sprinkler. <laughs> How much of the flowers needed the rain? Well it's been a bit very very bad dry season this year. Um, I've never seen it this hot and this windy and this Trees, the plants for, for the flowers suffered terribly and in fact the trees did too. They're shedding a lot of branches to um, avoid the stress of, of the lack of moisture in the air. But now it started to rain. Let's hope it keeps on going. So yeah, they really need that rain to oh, keep going. They really do. That kicks them right off. I'd say since the last four weeks or so when we've had a bit of rain, not an awful lot I might add, but a bit, um, our productivity has gone up by about 100%. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) So tell me a bit about the the cut flower market up here in the top end.
3: Well, it's going fairly poorly, actually. Um, Henning and I are probably one of the few ones left growing from the original introduction by the Department of Primary Industry in about the mid-80s. And there was about 30 or 40 growers who were interested and were growing them, which it has been done. We've had a lovely life living here, growing it, and, of course... All things come to an end, so we we retired at the end of last year. Um, But we're still selling wholesale flowers because that's not really so much work as doing the markets. So that's just to local florists? Just to local florists. Previously, until um, the air freight issues um, made it almost impossible to supply flowers interstate, but previous to that, 90% of our production would go to big wholesalers in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide sometimes too. They were Once the air freight costs went from about $1.20 a kilo to about $3.50, it made it almost impossible to make a profit out of it. So unfortunately, a lot of the growers who were there um, dropped off because it just wasn't worth their while.
0: So it's really only the local top-end market that you supply? yes. And what's demand like from, from Darwin?
3: Well, we've been making a living out of it for the last 20 years, so I suppose it's OK. <laughs> what made you stick with flowers for all these years? Oh, probably wasn't ever a rational decision. <laughs> we had it and we'd started it and we got involved in it and, of course, once you get involved, it's very hard to back out of it. And quite frankly, I don't know that I can see anything else on a small farm that you could do That would be as reliably profitable. I mean, we had money coming in every week of the year. There was no dead season like you are with a lot of fruit. There's no replanting like you do with fruit, with vegetables and things. Once you've got the flowers established, they're there. All you have to do is keep them there and pick them, and it's wonderful.
0: I've got to say, walking just around the sort of small plantations that we've seen so far, it's it's lovely to be on your property and see all these tropical flowers mm. grow as
3: well. Yeah, I love them. And I must say, I have spent quite a lot, number of long trips to South America, which is where they're native, to collect new varieties and make contact with people who were, growing them in other countries and getting seed and bringing them back to Australia so we could have a bit better variety as well. And it was a great excuse to travel. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: now that uh, you're retired or semi-retired at the moment, mm. is there enough flower growers in the top end to keep the industry going strong?
3: I'm not sure. Um, there's three or four other ones that, than us. We'd probably be the biggest out of them all, but then that was always the case because we had the land. Most of the people who are still growing flowers are, shall I say, dare to say, elderly. <laughs> so they're in more or less the same situation as we are. That it's not likely that one of all of our kids look at this and think that's just too much like hard work, and uh, it's just I, I think it'll just fade away as we do. Does that concern you? It's a pity because I've enjoyed it so much um, and I'm still enjoying it. It's hard to say. I suppose you never really envisage the end of something that you've enjoyed so much, but it'll still be here when I'm gone, but I doubt whether it'll be here after that. Can I ask how old you are, Jen? Do you mind? I'm 80. 80. Well. Wow. And you're, so you're still out here picking flowers? Oh, yeah. Well, it's good for you. It <laughs> keeps you fit. It's pleasure. To, it's a pleasure doing something you love. Um, I can't imagine uh, selling this and moving into and I'd probably move into another farm because I, I, I'm fit and I'm reasonably healthy. So um, there's no reason why I can't keep going on things.
0: And right. so we're kind of at this the kind of start of the wet season now that we've had a bit now of that rain.
3: It started.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so are you going to see this whole? plantation come to life?
3: Well it has just with the water we've had since about the middle of December we had rain mostly each each week, not a lot of rain but enough to kick everything off and of course they've all got rhizomes bulbs, something like that underground that are storages for nutrients and stuff. The dry season's the dry season and sometimes it's worse than others sometimes it's longer than others it it applies to whether how early the rains stop, and then how long it takes for them to start again. Now this year, the last rain we had here was in the middle of March, and it didn't rain again until December. Now that's a very long time for even the hardiest plant to store enough energy in its bulbs to come over that. Well, hopefully it keeps raining. I hope it does too. Not too much, just every, every, perhaps every afternoon would be nice if we could time it, you know. <laughs> and I can um, sit in inside and read books or do whatever, and in the morning I can look after my flowers.
2: That is Jan Hintzer. She's a flower grower in Lambles Lagoon. Semi-retired these days, as she says. Can't stop, but still trying to grow a few for the local market. She was speaking there with Annie Brown. It is 15 to 1. My name is James Gorry from TrainSafe NT. Just before you drive out bush,
7: just do a quick inspection under your car or under the bonnet. So, just keeping vehicles clean so we're not spreading biohazards, soil diseases, or weeds.
2: And enjoy listening to the Country Hour. Dan Fitzgerald with you on this Friday edition of the Country Hour. Hope your day's treating you well. Still to come, uh, we're going to be talking about a very important trial involving glyphosate, which could have some really big implications for Australian agriculture. That is up after this tune by Chris Stapleton. Chris Stapleton there with Starting Over. It is 10 to 1 here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald, BBC Radio right across the Territory. Well, glyphosate is the most used herbicide in the world. And in Australia, it's currently the forefront of a landmark trial. And this class action, well, it could have some big ramifications for ag in this country, as Lucy Cooper reports.
1: On Monday, the 4th of September, a landmark trial begun in Australia. The case, a class action involving more than 800 Australians who've been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. They allege their cancer is linked to their exposure to Roundup, a broad-spectrum glyphosate-based herbicide, between July 1976 and July 2022. So what's the aim of the trial? To determine if glyphosate, the key ingredient in Roundup, is carcinogenic to humans and causes non-Hodgkin lymphoma. If that is accepted by the court, the trial would then seek to determine whether the manufacturer, Monsanto, and its Australian division, Huntsman Chemical Company, were negligent for the risks posed by its products. If the applicants are successful, the trial could have significant regulatory implications in Australia. Maurice Blackburn is running the class action. Here's one of their lead lawyers, Andrew Watson, to explain the intention of the trial.
8: Well, in
9: 2015, the International Agency for the Research on Cancer um, declared that glyphosate, which is the active ingredient of the uh, Roundup product uh, that's sold by Monsanto, was a probable human carcinogen. Uh, since that time, Monsanto's behaved uh, like uh, many multinationals who here. Uh, evidence uh, that they don't uh, like and that impacts on their profit and and it's engaged effectively in a campaign of trying to uh, uh, create confusion about the science and uh, a campaign with regulators and others uh, but Uh, What that led to is us initiating this proceeding some years ago uh, in order to obtain compensation for those people who had developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, as a result of their exposure to Roundup.
1: Roundup, the glyphosate product in question, continues to be sold in Australia. You could purchase it today at your local hardware store if you wanted to. And Monsanto's parent company, Bayer, insists Roundup is safe. So why is glyphosate important? Why is it used and what on? According to the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, glyphosate is a herbicide used to control weeds in agriculture, public and industrial areas and in home gardens. It's been registered for use in Australia for over 40 years and is the most widely used herbicide in the world. It's used on the majority of farms in Australia, from sugarcane to horticulture Grains and oil seeds. Andrew Wiedemann, a Victorian farmer and research and development spokesperson with Grain Producers Australia, says the broad-spectrum weed killer has transformed grain growing in Australia and around the world, providing weed control without the need to cultivate and eliminating the horrid dust storms of the early 1980s.
5: When it comes to glyphosate, obviously that's probably the world's choice in terms of weed control. You cast your mind you're back in 82 but uh, I first came home on the farm uh, in that era and the dust storms that were around then and you look at the way agriculture is today uh, and the way that's transformed and the way that we're growing, the amount of grain that we're growing, it's all on the back essentially of the use of glyphosate.
1: Glyphosate is most commonly used in no-till or minimum tillage systems. Tillage controls weed growth by ploughing and cultivating, but because glyphosate is a broad-spectrum weed killer, it means farmers aren't required to till. Crops and pastures are simply planted into soil with the previous crop's residues. No-till farming benefits include less soil erosion, reduced fuel and labour costs, and greater conservation of water. So if glyphosate was to be banned in Australia, what would that actually mean? For backyard gardeners, it means no more quick fix for weeds. But what about those with much bigger backyards, farmers?
8: All the benefits from no-till farming, will lose those because there is no alternative to glyphosate. I know that we've got, obviously, we've got other products on the market that we have used in the past and continue to use, but some of those are already banned. For example, Paraquat has already been banned in most jurisdictions around the world, but we still have it. But none of those alternatives will replace glyphosate as it is. So it is going to be having a big impact on our farming system, especially on no-till farming. And we should be thinking about what can we do to replace glyphosate in case it happens. It's not a panic situation, but it's something that we should be thinking about at least in the short and medium term.
1: That's Victorian-based crop scientist and consultant Harm Van Rees. In response to claims from peak agricultural bodies that they are alarmed by attacks on glyphosate because it's an important toolbox for farming, lead lawyer running the class action at Morris Blackburn, Andrew Watson, said he won't apologise for putting health of humans first. Human
9: health and the opportunity for people to work safely And to not be exposed to a cancer-inducing chemical uh, has to trump the expedience of a multinational's profit and the expedience of uh, the convenience that goes with the use of glyphosate. So, so, you know, we make no apology for the fact that we are prioritising the health of humans Above those expedients.
1: But not all farmers feel this way. Some producers say they're keen to move away from the synthetic pesticides. Tammy Jonas is a livestock producer and butcher and the president of the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance.
10: Coming from a food sovereignty and an agroecology perspective, we sort of reckon there needs to be a transition to a totally different way of farming. I do think there's a responsibility on all of us, but in particular governments, to show some leadership in how to transition farms to more biodiverse production methods using integrated pest management. You know, there are lots of tools in the organic farmers toolbox as well, even though some of those may be imperfect. You have broadacre organic farmers not using glyphosate, so we know it can be done. And I would say that we need to be making that transition rather rapidly given the biodiversity loss and climate change from
0: the production of of, um, agrochemicals as well.
1: The class action represents over 800 Australians who believe glyphosate causes them or their loved ones non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Many more people across the country believe this as well. Matt Irison, a grazier near Hay in New South Wales, is one such person.
11: So we had two units going, you know, day after day for months, you know, into years, you know, tidying up country. And um, my cousin used to call my brother and I the, the chemical brothers because we were using it so often. So that was a bit of a joke around town.
1: He still uses Roundup when required, Always trying to follow instructions.
11: I did have uh, disposable overalls, um, gloves, and a respirator at times, but then I I sort of found that if you had a breeze running away from you, try and spray with and let the the spray go the other way. And it was just, if you're out there in 40 degree heat, it it became a bit unbearable wearing a respirator. I know uh, Monsanto says that Roundup is safe, uh, but I've seen a few issues in our in our family, family and, and in the district that uh, makes me wonder a little bit. My brother-in-law passed away in 2015 uh, from uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is the one the court case uh, they're uh, presiding over at the moment. He sort of yeah, had bone marrow transplants and, and um, with his brother and unfortunately uh, passed away after about 12 years. With the disease.
1: Mr. Irison has developed an immune disorder and has begun to wonder if there is a link to his ongoing use of Roundup. It's
11: called ITP, first word's idiopathic, which means they um, don't know the cause of it. But I will say one thing when I went to the doctor in Hay, he said, Have you been working with organophosphates and organochlorides with are chemicals, as you know? And it uh, sort of makes me wonder how I developed. ITP, I've still got it now.
1: So now we have a strong picture of the role of glyphosate and who uses it and potential impacts if it were to be banned. So let's take our minds back to the nine-week trial, which sought to determine if glyphosate, the key ingredient in Roundup, is carcinogenic to humans and therefore causes non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Class Action lead lawyer Andrew Watson said he is confident they'll be able to persuade the judge and achieve a positive outcome for all 800 Aussies in the Class Action.
9: Not everyone that's exposed to other carcinogens gets cancer. Not everyone who smokes a cigarette gets lung cancer. But that does not mean that there's not a proven association between smoking and lung cancer, and in the same way... Uh, the evidence we say will establish that Roundup and its active ingredient glyphosate do cause non-Hodgkin's lymphoma.
2: This landmark class action regarding glyphosate, it'll be taking final submissions in the coming weeks and just exactly when it'll wrap up, well, that uh, is a decision that remains unknown, but we'll keep you updated here on the Country Hour. It's coming up to uh, one o'clock. We'll have the news and then we'll be chatting with the Weather Bureau at the regular time at five past one. Speak to you soon. Hi, I'm
11: Jake Stringer. I'm the manager of Kidman Spring Station and you're listening to The Country Hour.
2: And you're with me, Dan Fitzgerald, on The Country Hour this Friday. We're broadcasting right across the territory on ABC Radio You can also listen to us via Channel 25 on your telly if you don't have any radio reception or live via the ABC Listen app where you can also get our podcast and listen to us at any time you need. Still to come in this half hour of the program, we'll be paying tribute to an absolute legend of the Sturt Plateau, Mike Harding, who is being... Farewelled at a funeral today in catherine
4: the minute someone had a problem or something had broken down or there was an emergency there was one person they called and it meant that um he was always pretty busy sorting out other people's issues
2: yeah he was loved by a great many people in that region and we'll speak more about mike very soon But let's check in with what's happening in the weather. We've got Billy Lynch with us today. How are you, Billy?
6: G'day, Dan. I'm good, thanks.
2: Um, let's take a look at some rainfall figures overnight. Um, where Whereabouts got the rain?
6: Yeah, look, I mean, it was widespread uh, across the north, but there are a couple of areas that um, picked up some slightly heavier falls. One of those was around the Darwin region, um, so uh, the best was Wagite Beach with 124 millimetres, um, both the Botanic Gardens and Nightcliff Pool, about 95 millimetres, uh, 88 at Howard Springs. Um, and that was just with the sort of monsoonal showers coming through. Uh, and then another area of sort of um, high rainfall totals was around the, the Catherine and the Waterhouse um, Rivers where... We saw a few places pick up around 60 to 70 millimetres and um, there were even some falls to around 50 millimetres or so across the Vic River region. So, Malulu had uh, 58 mills. Um, and then should mention even Javois, right down in the Simpson District, picked up 10 millimetres with some thunderstorms.
2: Yeah, um, I have seen another station out uh, to the northeast of Alice Springs, Huckata, It reported uh, 23 millimetres of rain. So, yeah, seemed there was a little bit out that way. Uh, Billy, some of the other rainfall figures we've seen on Facebook from stations include uh, 98 millimetres at Birdham Creek, which is just near Larimer. Um, Also, some neighbouring properties, Avergoe, 82 millimetres, another 61 at Lakefield and 56 at Scott Creek Station. And... It's just going to be more of the same over the next few days. Is it where <coughs> are the places at most at risk of um, of some rain? And, and tell us about this initial flood watch that has just been issued.
6: Yeah, so um, I guess the flood watch reflects the areas that are most likely to get the, the heavy rain um, over the next few days. So, yeah, we issued that flood watch uh, about two hours ago um, and it affects basically the, the western top end. So, uh sort of starting around the, the, the Wildman and Alligator Rivers of Kakadu uh, and then across the, you know, the Finnis River, the Daly River. Uh, it includes the Catherine and the Waterhouse and even the, the lower Victoria River. So quite a broad area across the, the western top end. Um, but initially, I guess it's it's the daily um, catchment that's most likely to um, see some of this heavy rainfall first. So um, it's being driven by the strengthening monsoon and in particular this tropical low that we've been talking about. So the low at the moment is near air on the coast. Um, it's going to be slow moving, uh, probably move inland um, slowly into the top end over the next few days. And um, so it does not mean the cyclone risk is continuing to, to reduce. Um, but the low, even though moving over land, is expected to strengthen um, over the next few days and into next week. So the weather system's is really going to drive some increasingly heavy rainfall across the the western top end, particularly from Sunday onwards.
2: Yeah, and what sort of daily totals uh, could we expect?
6: Yeah, look, I mean, we're looking at sort of widespread falls of anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty millimetres, um, and within that, there's definitely going to be some isolated heavier falls of you know well above one hundred and fifty millimetres. Um, so. I mean, already with the rainfall that we've been seeing this week, some of the rivers are, all the rivers actually are starting to to respond. So catchments are fairly wet. And with the forecast rainfall, um, which, I mean, it looks like it's a fairly slow-moving system next week. So we're probably in for quite a prolonged period of heavy rain. And, um, yeah, we should expect some... Um, Fairly significant responses to the rivers next week. Mm,
2: Yeah, I've seen some predictions of, you know, we're talking about a couple of hundred millimetres, 500 millimetres plus over, you know, the week or so. So there's going to be, the ground's going to be very wet.
6: Yeah, definitely. So we've got the flood watch out and I guess we're just letting everyone know, um, you know, now's the time to start preparing and um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see exactly... How much rain falls and, and where, but um chances are there will be some flooding impacts somewhere in the top end next week. Yeah, okay. okay.
2: And um and with all this low and the the rain around, probably not a great weekend to be out in the boat, eh?
6: No, definitely not. Um, yeah, so apart from just the visibility reductions with all these showers coming through, um, the wind is going to increase as well. So um, we do expect over the weekend we'll be issuing some coastal wind warnings. Uh, we're also expecting those monsoonal squalls to strengthen, so we might also need to issue some severe weather warnings for, for damaging wind gusts as well across um the whole northern top end, so even across to the Arnhem district, could be impacted by these stronger winds.
2: And meanwhile, in central Australia, it's hot and there's a heat wave warning.
6: Most definitely, yeah. I'm just looking at uh, Yalara at the moment. It's uh, 40 degrees, uh, forecast to get up to 43 this afternoon. So, very hot temperatures. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, that heat wave, severe heat wave, continuing across the southwest. Um, temperatures are going to be near or above 40 degrees uh, this weekend and uh, at least for the first half of next week. And then we might get a little bit of cloud cover and um, and maybe the chance of some showers or storms returning um, from the middle of the week, which might bring the temperatures down a a smidge.
2: Yeah. So is there, for those in central Australia, is there any chance of all this weather that's um, dropping rain in the top end coming down Alice Springs Way?
6: Uh, look, not so much Alice Springsway at this stage, but, um, yeah, definitely the second half of next week, um, still a little bit of guesswork involved in where the low may move, but it, it certainly could move southwards into, you know, central parts of the NT, possibly the Barkley, um, just a possibility at this stage. But yeah, there is a risk that that heavy rain could move further into, um, central or southern parts of the NT.
2: Okay. Thanks for keeping us updated, Billy.
6: No worries. Thanks, Dan.
2: And he's Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. Uh, Yeah, plenty going on there in the weather. Stay tuned to the ABC for more updates as they come.
1: Storms can be damaging and unpredictable. Being prepared will help reduce the impact on you. Put together an emergency kit. Include first aid supplies, a torch, battery-powered radio, extra drinking water and long-life food in case the power's cut. Write an emergency plan, including contact numbers for family and neighbours, and have copies of important documents in waterproof bags. For storm updates, visit the ABC emergency website.
2: Here's 13 past one here on the Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for joining me. Well, Sturt Plateau pastoralist Mike Harding is being farewelled at a funeral in Catherine this afternoon. Mike Harding died aged just 59, tragically, in a helicopter accident south of Manaranka in December. He had lived and worked on Gorry Station with his family for about 30 years or so, and he was just one of those classic characters of the Sturt, Plateau and Roper community. Kim Window is a friend of the Harding family, and I spoke with him earlier about Mike's legacy.
4: He's probably got one of the most famous tales of anyone I've ever met as far as from the day he was born to, the, to to where he gets to today, and what what's going to be special about what we're up to here in Catherine is that um, there's there's some sort of well at least ten people that have got the job of piecing together that life tale. So he um, the one main thing to start with with Mike is that um, in our lifetime we can all be glad if we've got one or two best mates. Um, and I think we're going to find today that there's a hundred people that are going to turn up here that consider Mike as their best mate so while we all had one or two he had literally hundreds
2: yeah what was it about Mike that that made him have so many friends and, and be so beloved
4: um he's one of those people that um, who just spent so much time making sure everyone else was right and was just the most selfless and giving person I've ever any of us could ever come across so the minute someone had a problem or something had broken down or there was an emergency there was one person they called and it meant that um he was always pretty busy sorting out other people's issues.
2: Yeah that Sturt Plateau community it's quite tight knit how will it be impacted by by his loss?
4: Well I tell you what there's there's a lot of us me included who have not even ever thought about living and existing without him, so it's simply one of those things that we ha- we all have to do. And some of us are going to be a lot more a lot more lost than others. Um, and there's, there's certainly the people that that um, took advantage of his ability to make everything right uh, are obviously going to have to find another way to do that.
2: Now Mike, uh, one of the things that was well known about him is that he loved to get around without shoes even on out on the station. What does that say about the type of man he was
4: <laughs> well he's the simplest he's probably the best way to describe it um, I could sort of say with lots of things in Mike's life that if you didn't need it you't didn't, you didn't take it or you didn't you didn't put it on or whatever else he um I think he just found it easy to easier to um m- well, I'd say he would probably spent so many so much time with boots with holes in them that he eventually thought, well, "What's the point?" And he, um, if yeah, you, if you, if those who, who saw his feet, it, it, I'm pretty sure I've never made, been to the moon, but I'm pretty sure the surface of his feet resembles
2: what we, what you'd find on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they must have been pretty tough for all the the walking around barefoot he did. Yeah, absolutely. And not many of us could walk through fire with with shoes on, let alone bare feet. But he could do both. I know Mike. He always loved to find time to quickly stop by the Roper River when he was flying around in his helicopter. Uh, tell us about Mike's love of fishing.
4: Oh, it's not a, it's it's his love for fishing, but love for that river. And he's um been pretty vocal about his love for the river in the um. The any fracking stuff and the any cotton stuff and all that sort of thing and and um he did probably more than anyone else has ever done to share its beauty and what it's got to offer because he um oh we we reckon there'd be thousands of people that he's flown up and down palm alley and um and I'd say that pretty much everyone exponentially look, we we think about this as a pyramid because you know, I consider myself as his best mate. So, all my family and all my friends have had a trip up the river, and then everyone else's friends and best friends have had a trip up the river. And um, you know, over the last twenty years that he's been flying, I wouldn't couldn't imagine to count the number of people that he's he's taken up there. And and, and the other thing is, he he's never taken a red cent for it. So, he's done it under his own steam and his own cost. And it is just, you know, it's I suppose just the single most easiest way for people to get the head around the bloke that we've just
2: lost. And he was on Gorry Station for for decades. What did that property mean to him and his family? Everything.
4: You know, like since like I met Mike Allen and the girls, um, I was there. How I got to be there is I was I was a teacher at school there when I first got to Catherine and um they had they're unlucky enough to have, have me as their teacher for three years, so pretty short after the first visit, actually you know, I tried to make Gori my second home and and succeeded in that and um we sport like now I've got a young family, and we we all we spend as much time as we can there and um yeah and i I think it's when anyone's looking for a party or a good time, that's where everybody goes.
2: Um, lastly, how would how would you like Mike to be remembered today, Kim? You you ask this
4: question of another friend of ours who's um, the MC today, and I don't think there's a better, and I um I hope he hasn't copyrighted this statement, but um he's the barefooted beating art of the Sturt Plateau and of the NT community, um and everybody that knows him sort of could have a smirk and a smile on their face because that was something that Tom Stockwell coined and I can't think of any... I'm going to steal his because I can't think of anything better.
2: Kim Window, he is a friend of Mike Harding and his family. Uh, Mike Harding's funeral is on this afternoon in Catherine. From all of us here at the Country our thoughts go out to the Harding family and his many friends. I myself went out to Gorry Station a number of times when I was in Catherine. I was always treated with absolute kindness by Mike and the family. Time now for a tune. This is I Love This Place by Troy Cassadaly. It's 21 past one here on the Country Hour. Now, we don't talk about shearing too much here on the NT Country Hour. While there are a few sheep in the NT, they're all of a type of breed where their wool just drops off. They don't actually need to be shorn. But what we do love is a record. And this is a good one. A Kiwi shearer has just smashed the women's world record for most ewes shorn in an eight-hour day. Catherine Maloui, she shorn 465 ewes, smashing the previous record by 79 sheep. And she told Angus Fairley that, well, she was confident all day through that she was going to break the record.
10: Yeah, it went really well. I just, I had it in my head that um, it was going to be the best day shearing I've ever had. So when times did get a little bit tough, I just thought, um, a friend of mine said, remember, you're living your dreams. <laughs> um, it's a little thing that we share as say, we're living the dream. <laughs> so, yeah, I remembered that, and that got me through.
7: And, Kath, the, the record you were targeting, had it had only been set a, a few days before your record attempt, but 386 head was your target, and you sure, 465.
10: Yeah. So you absolutely
7: yeah. smashed that that record.
10: Yeah. Yeah, it was just a personal goal. Always chasing that yeah, that personal best of your own. Eh? It's, it's um it's all it's all for you at the end of the day. So yeah, I actually I had a bigger goal in mind, uh, but I just I just couldn't do it on on the day. So um yeah, yeah I smashed my second goal.
7: <laughs> so what was the original goal?
10: I uh, really, I really want to do 500 just in my lifetime. <laughs> I really, I've always wanted to do 500 on you, So um, we'll get there one day.
7: So you, so you've you've smashed the world record, but you're you're still not content.
10: Oh no, I am. I am for the day. Yeah, I think it went as well as it as it possibly could could have done. So yeah, I'm really happy.
7: And Kathy run tallies uh, one seventeen, one seventeen, one sixteen, one sixteen. So is that, is that something that you, you pride yourself on that that consistency?
10: Yeah, definitely. Had a good team behind me, keeping me going all day. Eh? And um, hey, you know you can just walk away at Smoko, and um, and your gear is just going to go mint. You've got no worries.
7: And right from the outset, Catherine, the start of the day, did did it did it feel like things were flowing for you? And did you did you always think that you were on track to to cheer a big tally?
10: I definitely knew, like I knew I could do four hundred. But I guess, like I've heard people that have done records before saying, you know, like on the day you'll you'll be surprised at what you do. I guess with the atmosphere and and all of the little things you know having the boys talking to you all day and your gear and you know the sheep are really good and all of all of the things all coming together like you don't you don't get that at a normal day of sharing so i expected that it would be the best day of sharing of
7: my life and and so the best day of of your life of, of a long shearing career, Kath. What what was the feeling when you finally shore that last sheep at the end of the eight hours?
10: Oh, uh, it was the last sort of actually the last hour. I think after I got the record, and then you know, you know that last bit of time is just it's it's all on you then kind of thing. Um, that's what it felt like. It, it was just. All on me to to set that tally as high as I could, and yeah, it, gave, it definitely gave me some adrenaline um, to run on and get through the day. On it was actually pretty exciting that last that last sort of hour hour quarter. Yeah, it's making my heart race just thinking about it.
7: <laughs> and and Kath, just just reading some reports about about the day, it sounds like some of the sheep weren't particularly cooperative for you.
10: Yeah, they're I guess just typical. They've got a bit of Perindale in them, so anyone that knows that breed, yeah, knows what they're they're a bit spicy. But um they're a beautiful shearing sheep.
7: And and for you, Kath, to, to establish yourself as, as one of the best shearers in the world, what what's the secret? Is it your technique, your physical fitness, your your, your mental strength? What is it?
10: Yeah, I don't know. There's something inside you I guess that pushes you there's, there's something about sharing. Um, <laughs> I think anyone that's that's drawn a sheep and continued after that first sheep is, I don't know, you catch a bug or something. And um, yeah, I, I can't explain it to be honest.
2: That is Kiwi shearer Catherine Maluli speaking. There with Angus Furley, she saw 400. 65 views in 8 hours. Quite an effort. That is it for the Country Hour for today. A reminder that there is an initial flood watch out for the northwestern NT. A whole bunch of river catchments including the Victoria River, the Mary River, the Adelaide, the Finnis and the Lower Daly as well as the Catherine, the Moyle and the South Alligator. There is a lot of rain to come over the next few days. Stay tuned to the ABC, your Emergency broadcaster for more details. But the country hour will be back at twelve thirty on Monday. Take it easy. Music.